We're going to kick off where we left off last time, looking at the book of John. And the purpose of these nights is the, the building, training, and equipping of the saints. Um, so got four awesome panel members here this evening who are going to dive deep into the living scriptures and bring to light the reality that sits behind the words on the page. Um, and then we're going to break off into groups and have time together dialoguing about what it is you've heard, received, what it is that the Holy Spirit's opened up to you um, through our time together. Is that cool? All right, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 1. That's right, we haven't moved past chapter 1, um, <laughs> but hopefully we'll move past uh, chapter 1 over the next however many weeks, five weeks. <laughs> so John chapter 1, verses 43, and we're going to go through to 51. Um, is, is this sounding a bit boomy to anyone else? Yeah. Working on it? We're working on it. All right. <laughs> Sweet. All different, right. different for you, Sam, normally. <laughs> I'll make the most of it. <clears throat> 43. Whoa. All right. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the, the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Interesting passage, eh? And a passage, to be honest, that probably doesn't get preached that often about a man who you may never have heard of before, Nathaniel. He's not one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, this is his one and only appearance in the Bible that I can see anyway. But there's something incredibly interesting about these passages um, with this encounter between Jesus and this man, Nathaniel. You know, Nathaniel's dragged along by Philip, who has encountered Jesus. And Philip, it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel has a real interesting reaction. Um, in verse 46, he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When I was talking with Paul about this this afternoon, he said, what's the place that you would think of? Can any good thing come out of? <laughs> Definitely Trentham. <laughs> so, that's all right. Paul preempted it. He knew we didn't even... <laughs> oh, sorry. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Jesus came out of Nazareth. <laughs> 
Well, Paul and Anne did come out of Trentham, so it's all good. But yeah, Nathaniel, you could take that question one of two ways, eh? Either he's attacking or he's asking a genuine question. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's, see, Nathaniel right here is asking not to critique but to learn. See, Nathaniel's a straight shooter because when he encounters Jesus, Jesus says to him, man, just based on that one comment alone, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. See, Jesus recognizes just in that one moment, here's a man who he says is an Israelite indeed, a man in whom there's no deceit. This guy, Nathaniel, says it as it is. He's a straight shooter. He calls a spade a spade and he means what he says. He says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Now, a cynical man would say, whatever. But Nathaniel followed after. He immediately responded to the call. And it goes on to say, Nathaniel says this, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so we see here Jesus his incredible comments to Nathaniel, behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Now we know that back in the day, the original Israel, his name was what? Does anyone know? Jacob. And what was Jacob known for? Being a deceiver. Jacob deceived everyone around him. He deceived Laban out of his flocks. He even deceived his own brother and his own father, Esau, by um, you know, wrapping himself up in fur and tricking his father into thinking that he was the oldest son deserving of inheriting the blessing of his father. Jacob was known for being a man that was full of deceit. But somewhere along the line, Jacob went from being Jacob to Israel, the man who wrestles with God. And you see a man who was born in the flesh, but was always predestined to become this man of the Spirit. You know that it says in, in Romans chapter 9 that, that it was actually predestined that the older would serve the younger. So before Jacob was ever born, it says that God's gracious promise stood that the older would serve the younger. Jacob, having been born in the flesh, was always predestined not to be a deceiver, but to be a man who would inherit the promises of God, not through his own ability, but through God's divine choice. And so I'm really keen for us here as a panel to unpack these interesting, riveting, deep scriptures, because these scriptures here are a wellspring of life for us to unpack. And so we're going to look at what does it mean to be an Israelite indeed? So guys, I I wonder if we can start things off there. There's a few other scriptures that I'd like to touch on along the way, but we'll get started and we'll see how, how things flow. But Greg, I don't know what, if you want to kick us off. What, what does Jesus mean when he says, Behold an Israelite indeed? Um, Israel, Israel. Um. What does it mean to be an Israelite? It means to be someone 
who is of the Spirit primarily, who understands the things of the Spirit, and who lives in accordance to the Spirit, which means you know the Spirit, which is the Father, because the Father is Spirit. Um, it means you are a person of covenant, because you understand the covenants that were given to a physical people, but along the way we're grafted into that very people group. And so Israel really, in the fullness of what it is spiritual, it's not a landmass, it's not a physical people, it's a spiritual people who know the promises and the covenants that have been predestined for them to come into. So there are people of promise. There are people of promises. And we understand and we live from that DNA and that identity. Cool. And it's interesting, eh? you know, and I was just reading this this afternoon in, in Romans 9, you know, it says this, but it's not as if the word of God had failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they children because they're Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Interesting, eh? He says that not all who are descended from Israel are actually Israel. Is, is that not a bizarre statement to say? And it highlights that, who, who is this people Israel that the Bible talks about? These people who are the inheritors, like Greg was saying, of the promise. Because he says that not all that were descended from Israel are Israel. We could easily almost sub in the word Christian. Not all people who call themselves and have the title of Christian are Christian in the truest sense of what that word was supposed to mean. Christ-like followers, you know. And we looked at, over the last number of months, you know, the difference between being raised in Christ and raised in, uh, sorry, being raised in Christianity, being raised in Christ, you know. And here we see this distinction, you know, that, that, that Paul's saying, guys, it's, it's actually not a matter of your physical bloodline, your physical lineage. It's a matter of entering into the spiritual promise to become the spiritual people of God. And he's calling people from all ethnicities, all cultures, ages, generations to be this holy nation, this people of God, this spiritual people that is called is that is called his, his people Israel, hey? And so it's like Greg was saying, it's so much more than a, than a physical thing, but these people who are truly recipients of promise. Do you have anything you want to add? Nick? Yeah, I, when I first read it, and I saw the line where he says, an Israelite indeed. And the word true came to mind. Sorry. The word true came to mind, and, and I thought of these things like, are we of the true vine? And Jesus talks about his bread being the true food. You know, so when it, when it says an Israelite indeed, when you put something like true in front of something, or you say an Israelite indeed, you're distinguishing it right. one from another. So if there's an Israelite indeed, there's someone who's an Israelite, but not indeed. <laughs> there's a vine and then there's a true vine. And so so for me, I went and I looked, you know, I did a, just put in true and, and in the New Testament and looked through the true vine. And, and I just think of, um, you know, the Israel of God, you know, the people of God, the true people of God. So there were people that were walking 
with Israel in the wilderness, but it, there ended up only being two that were the true Israel at that time. There's always a remnant, you know, throughout the Old Testament. It talks about this remnant, you know. And so, there, so there's those that are true and those that are not, and that's the separation, you know. It's right the way through Scripture. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, and, and and you can see, you can tell, what does it say? You'll know them by their fruit, say, you know, that the... That the true kind, the true people, Israel, will demonstrate the Israel-like life. Yeah. You know, there'll be, you know, it's it's the people who are truly the people of of God. There will be evidence attached yeah. to to being, you know, these recipients of promise. Hey, you know, um, that they're, you know, like like Jacob, he was a man of promise, yeah. but his life demonstrated something other than, you know. That's right belief and a knowledge of that promise, you know, and so he lived as yeah. a deceiver, even though he was predestined wow. to, be, to be this um, recipient of promise. Hey? Yeah. And we hear of a true and living way. Mm. You know, there is one way. Yeah. That way is Christ, and it's Christ-like. That's the way of God. You're either of that way or you're of another way. And I feel like it's real easy to make those distinctions in pretty much any other environment, hey, you know, between the truly, authentically um, real and the thing that looks like it, but it may not necessarily be, you know. And I was just, I was just thinking about midsummer at Lyle Bay. You've got, you've got your surfers who rock up, brand new weddy, brand new board, you know, got the surfy here look, rock up on the beach. And it's the first time you've ever seen them before. You know, these guys are absolutely looking the part. They are surfers to an extent. But it's almost like, who are these guys, you know? You look the part. <laughs> Paul was there in his, you know, in his Speedos. <laughs> and suddenly no one else was there. <laughs> but but you see, you've, you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a particular kind who, who look the part who are sort of surfers, but actually the true kind are those who are there actually in the middle of winter, whose hands are going white and purple, who get out of, who get out of the water and put their school uniform on and wear salt for the rest of the day while they're at school, you know, whose, whose hair's leaking, you know, like salt and sand while they're... At, there's two kinds, eh? There's one who looks it... And one who actually is it in reality, you know? And so I feel like it's totally reasonable to say, actually, there's Israelites and then there's Israelites. These, there, are, there, are, there are Christians and then there are Christ-like followers. There, there are those people who do the right thing, say the right words, act the right way, attend the right services... And then there are those who actually live from the very living reality of what it means to have Christ in them. So two kinds, two kinds of Israelites, but there's only one kind that is of the same substance, heartbeat, reality of, of Christ himself. So. It's like within South America because um, <clears throat> there are South Americans and it's just people that are Spanish and they pretend to be South American, but they're not. They only speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> the yep. whole South American culture mm. 
that's right. Yeah, they're not from here. They only know the language. Yeah. And it can be really easy in a Christian context to learn the language. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'll say things like revelation or blessing. You know, there's, there's Christian language that you can learn, even in, even in this environment, you know? Things, even words that are unique to our community, like, I don't know, substance or the substance of Christ or, you know, the living reality of Christ. And, and, and all of a sudden we're adopting a language, but actually we haven't entered into the heartbeat that that language is supposed to flow from, eh, you know? And so we have to be really careful that we don't just play around the edges, that we are Israelites indeed, Christians indeed, Christians in actual demonstration of Christ-likeness, not just playing copy, eh? I think there's also the um, reality. I mean, Jesus talked to the Israelites who thought they were of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's the, the Israelite that thinks he's of Abraham, mm-hmm. and he never is. Mm-hmm. And there's the Israelite who is of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so then you've got the Gentiles. There's two types of Gentiles as well, but we're just looking at the Israelites. So there's the Israelites in John 8 that Jesus says, your father's of the devil. And they're highly offended because they believe they are of Abraham. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, no, you're not my true Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, So as followers, you could say, we're not under that category. Because what you could say is, some are covered and some are covered and crucified. Mm -hmm. And so we also have to be able to discern the difference between all that. Because there were people of physical bloodline that were never Israelites. Mm -hmm in accordance to the spirit. They were physically Israelites. But he's actually saying, you're not of me. And that's why they killed him. Because they were convinced they were of. And that's why he says to them, if you were of Moses, you'd actually be of me. But you're not of Moses and you're not of me. And Moses will judge you. And so a classic is Paul, Saul. So Saul was an Israelite and always going to be an Israelite of the Spirit because he was predestined. But he was born in the flesh as Saul, and the Spirit he became Paul. But it was always going to be the case. But then there are other Israelites that were never going to be like Saul and Paul. Okay, And this is the challenge between um, <clears throat> the reality of the physical and the spiritual. And so you see Isaiah prophesied saying, you will never know. These people were never going to know. Their eyes were never going to be opened. Their ears were never going to hear. They were never going to understand. So there were actually people that were predestined to not know who were Israelites. And this is where you have to be thankful that you were chosen for grace, mercy, not wrath. And this is a real, you know, when you start realizing this, out of you comes praise. Because you could have been chosen for wrath, but you were chosen for mercy. And... You know, part of what's happened throughout history is theologians have come up with all these theologies. And so, you know, you get the, um, I've written down my Bible, there's the replacement theory. So the church has replaced Israel completely. Okay, so that's what some people believe. They're completely two separate things. Israel and the church are completely separate. And then there's the grafted in reality which is what I believe is the biblical position, is that we are a chosen people, no different to them, 
because we're actually one and the same, and we've been grafted into the true vine, which is Christ. And so if you have a look at Ephesians 2, you'll see it all there. As we were dead in sin, but God raised us up in Christ and brought us back into what we were predestined to be in, which is the commonwealth of Israel, where the two has now becoming one, which is the heart of the Father from the beginning. So, you know, you hear people say, oh, the Israelites are the chosen people. And you go, yep, and so am I. Because I was chosen before the foundations of the earth too for the same promises. But what you have to see there is a first and a second. So there's a first fruits. So God chose the Israelites to maintain the oracles of him. But actually we can know them and we're to be one with them. So it's this mystery of the two becoming one, which you see in the entirety of everything. You see it in the marriage covenant, the two become one. Grace and truth really one. I pray you'd be one. And so the challenge is you either have a mindset, oh, that's them and this is us, completely separate, or we've replaced them, you know, there's no, God has no use, no, no, no. Or actually there's this thing called the grafted in reality. We're actually together, there's no more male, female. It's not Jew, Gentile, it's Israel. The spiritual people of God who are defined by covenants and that's why it is essential we live out the marriage covenant. Mm. And we are able to love Father with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Because that means you're an Israelite who keeps the covenant, the commandment of God. So you've come into the promise that was given Abraham. And this why faith is the key to living this life out. Because the promise is of faith. So when the woman who was the Syrophoenician woman stood in front of Jesus, who everyone else called a dog, what did she have? Because she knew she was a promise of covenant. Physically, she shouldn't have even been in the room. Spiritually, she knew who she was. And when you know who you are, you access and possess everything by faith in what's in the Christ, because she knew her father was Abraham. He never has. No, he never has. So you can see that, and yes, he wanted to destroy them, and then Moses goes before him and says no, you know, all that thing. But he's always made a covenant with his people. Yeah. And that's because he knows who's his. And, you know, just in that whole faith and promise, you see that again. And I think this is what he's calling out to Nathaniel and, and sees in him before Nathaniel can even see it in himself. And he's, he's calling him forward for that, to, to actually come into this full reality. And, you know, this whole thing of faith, you see that again in, in Romans and Galatians. And he says, and the, I mean, if you put yourself in the story in their position, it's kind of offensive to be on the receiving end of it. So it's going to have to take something to be able to receive it. And that's this place of humility poor in spirit to actually hear what he's saying. As he says, now, this is Paul writing, now, um, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and he's distinguish, distinguishing between two covenants, and um, Hagar and Sarah, uh, Sarai, and he goes, um, now, this Hagar, Mount Sinai is Arabia, and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Well, he's speaking this to Israelites, who he's saying, you're not Israelites. 
because the true Israel comes out of something, out of a promise, which comes out of faith. So the true Israelite is the one who actually is received and believes in faith, which then he then goes on and brings in the Gentiles because of the same faith as Abraham, you actually become. This is why they're so um, significant about the, um, the true Israel, because Israel's not just um, this physical place and the physical people, though it still has relevance. The true Israelite, the, that's, those scriptures talk about the children. They're of this family, the family of faith. The, the true Jerusalem, it says, is from above. She is our mother. Faith, the Father, produces the spirit of sonship within us. And I think, you know, like, these things are, are so vital for us to, to grapple with, hey? You know, because these promises, or the promises that were given to Israel, are the, are the promises that we're grafted into, hey? You know, and like Greg was saying, you know, having become part of this commonwealth of Israel. Just like being in New Zealand, we're part of the commonwealth of England. We're not, I'm not physically located in England. I do happen to be English, but it's, but that's not, the fact, the very fact that I'm a New Zealand citizen means that actually I'm part of the commonwealth of England. And, and, and so we're under technically in a legislative sense, the, the, um, the, the legal kind of covering of the Queen of England and the Governor-General signs off all of our legislation, you know? And so while we're not physically located in England and while you may not be English, you actually experience the luxuries of being part of coming under a covenant that you've been grafted into, you know? And in the same way, while you may not physically be a Jew, you might not physically be an Israelite. You've been grafted into the spiritual covenant that God has made with Israel and have been part, become partakers of th that covenant promise. Hey, you know? And so when you start to see that, it actually means that the entirety of the Bible relates to you, you know? And that you can't just write the Israelites off as, as some people that, that got it wrong. Actually, these... These people are, they're your relatives of the Spirit, you know? Abraham and Moses and Jacob, these are people that, he says, guys, learn from, learn from these people so that you don't repeat the same mistakes that they made. They, these, these things were written down for your instruction, it says, of, of whom the end of the age has come, you know? And so we have to see ourselves as being grafted into the covenants of promise and, and inheritors in the same way that, that these people were to, to learn from their mistakes and, and not just their mistakes, but actually learn from the things that they got right as well because there's incredible demonstration through the ages of men and women of faith who have laid hold of these promises that were always available to this people group called Israel. So. Just a question. Um, why didn't they enter into the promised land? Yell out. Unbelief. Why won't you enter into the promised land? So what did you and what do we and they need? See the connection? So the promised land is not a physical land. For them it was a physical land. Who's the promised land? Christ. 
And what is every promise is found where? In Christ. So you can't be, he says, learn because they fail to enter into rest because of unbelief. Hebrews 3. And he said, if there's a day that remains, you better make sure you enter into it. And when it's spoken, make sure you don't say no. And then have unbelief. Because if you have unbelief in your heart, you ain't going to receive anything. And yet you're still saved. So you're washed in blood, but you won't enter into the promised land, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised land. The land is just a physical typology. In our context, it's him. So you need faith, because if unbelief is there, then you're going to come short of the rest that we're to have entered into, which is the place you live from as an Israelite. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because we're talking about this, um, the Commonwealth of Israel, but you can replace that or interchange citizens of heaven. You know, we live in that way, the way of heaven, you know. And when we see here at the, the end of the verse we read in, um, in John 1, it's truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And this is where we were, t- um, Sam was tying in Jacob earlier. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, these, these things are drawn out. But he is our access point into the heavenly realm. He is the way. And this is the way of the people of God, to be citizens of heaven is through him. And I think you have a beautiful picture here of, with Nathaniel. Jesus speaks one word to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel believes. This is what I see here. As a man, you know, what, we don't know exactly what being under the fig tree means to Nathaniel, but Jesus knows what it means. And Jesus speaks a word, and all of a sudden Nathaniel replies back after hearing, he was, you know, they saw under the tree, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Well, how do you get that from that? You know, that's, that's a revelation. He's just, boom, whoa. And so there's this, this belief that has come, you know. And I, and, I, and I contrast him with Jacob, who saw the ladder. You know, he was someone that would, was trying to work his way. He was trying to go another way. Every time, he was the deceiver. You know, he was trying to deceive his way, and that's what we can do as well. We can deceive ourselves into thinking this is the way. And I'm not talking about we're thinking of another, we're not going Buddha, we're going this and that. We're we're thinking another Christ. Or even looking at the way of Christ and going, oh, can I do it slightly differently? You know, we're, we're talking about the one degrees this morning. You know, one degrees off is off. You know, and the further you travel, the further off you are. So we need to do the things his way. And it says the first work is to believe. So I believe you see here, there's a first work done. He's believed in something. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because when he says back here, when, you know, he says what good can come out of um, Nazareth, Philip was very smart because he didn't say, oh, no, hang on a minute, and explain to him. He says, come and see. And this is all we're doing, is saying, look, come and see the Christ, you know, because when you see, all the, see the real deal, you know, you know it's the real deal. You know what I love about that is the continuous process, because in John 7, Jesus says to Philip, how long have I been with you and you still don't know me? <laughs> so the same guy that says, come and have a look, is the same guy Jesus looks at and says, you still don't know who I am. 
I just thought, can I touch on something that, that around this Israel? What's the pattern God has given Israel to build Israel? So God gives a pattern. So in the, he gave a pattern to build the tabernacle. He gave a pattern to build the temple. He's given us a pattern to build the people, Israel. What's the pattern? So do you understand the fivefold? Not here. Here. And are you surrendering to it? Because it says in Ephesians, listen to this. So then, I just want to pick up what Nick said. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He said Israel is like being ambassadors. Okay, and he's absolutely right. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So you have the cornerstone, and upon that you start as the first gift is the apostolic, then the prophetic, then the teacher. And that is what Israel is to be built on. It says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. If the church does not have the apostolic and prophetic teacher fivefold gift in it, how can she be built if that's what God has given the gifts to be built? You build out of alignment. And which two gifts did the people of God kill? Why? Yeah, do you know what the scripture says? You killed them because they have the key to knowledge. How long have I been with you and you still don't know me? So this gift mix has the key to knowledge that opens up the true building of the people of Israel. It's fascinating. Can I just urge you to go and marinate in Ephesians 2? Like in Ephesians 2... It's almost like takes you on a journey and leaves you with an outcome. Does anyone have any, any questions while we just pause there about anything that's been shared so far? On topic questions? Um, does, the, does the land, does the, does the nation Israel have anything to do with well, the future and like, like the call to a future? But I, I don't see that as a future unless something. Um, so a future for the physical land of Israel, is that what you're asking? Um, so I, I think, so my, my personal opinion is that Jesus is going to come, it said he'll come back to the Mount of Olives, and so that, that, that's where he'll set up his physical, literal thousand-year reign on this earth. So the physical land does have, you know, like that it is relevant, yeah. it's just, most of the time that the that the Bible talks about Israel, he's not referring to the the land specifically. It's to a people group mm. that happen to have 
that happen happen to have a, a physical land. Mm. So it's to me, it's it's dual. There's, there's a people, and there's a land, and he'll come back and reign from that physical land. You know, that that's my personal opinion. So. Yeah, so I agree with that. Jesus will come and rule and reign from a physical place. But eternally, no. It all gets done away with by fire. So the land we're going to receive is a heavenly one, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so that, that is our promise, you know, after the ruling and reigning. Yeah, and I think, I think it's, it's like the scriptures point you to the person. So the physical land and the promises, you know, because was it 1940 when Israel got given back? So that, that's prophetic, yeah? So that is amazing, and that is to point you to the Christ. So that's the purpose of the physical. It's like physical family, okay? It's not not important, but it's not where you build your house. It's to point you to spiritual family, and so it's a means, so Israel as a physical is a means to a greater reality. The other thing I just want to say is that we have to be careful of, because people go down this pathway now of trying to enter into Judaism and Jewish culture and all this stuff, and now I want to become a Jew. Okay, we're not saying that. That's just physically, once again, taking the things of the foreshadow, and now you're trying to become Jewish. Okay, you can celebrate the feast, you can celebrate a Sabbath, you can celebrate the things that point to the Christ, but don't get caught up in them. In and amongst themselves, they don't produce any life. They're pointing towards the Christ. So there's nothing wrong with keeping them, but they are means towards Christ. Okay, because Sabbath rest is to live your entire life from Christ. It's not a day off. Okay, because you can have a day off and be completely anxious and worrying about what you're not doing. Yeah. Let's be honest. People go on holiday and they only need a holiday when they come back from holiday because they spend the whole time worrying because they've got some more time on their hands to worry. So Sabbath rest is living from having him in you yeah. and having that entire thing posture how you live, yeah. which is highly active. Mm. Okay, and that's that what we need to walk in that alignment as an Israelite, as a people group. It's a good question, Warren. Yeah. Yeah. Any, other, any other questions about how God builds the church or what it means to be this people of promise? If not, we'll keep going. <laughs> So when God started to awaken me to the fivefold, because I had no knowledge of it, okay? So my journey of 2008 to 2010, one of the key things God showed me was this whole thing of the fivefold. It's written down, but I had no eyes to see it. Now, what you can't just go and do is run around and try and find, right, now, or I can't go, well, I need to be this or I need to be that. You either have this gift or you don't have the gift, 
And Christ is specific in breaking himself up into bits. So there's team, not one person that has it all. Okay? So you have to identify the gifts on the person's life, and then the gift grows over time. Okay? So how it happens, it's happening right now. So I have an apostolic grace gift in my life, and it's been growing over years. And when I speak, and I've said to you, I'm only speaking the Word of God. So your role is to hear not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying. If you hear and it goes in and then the Holy Spirit brings revelation, you've just been built by the apostolic grace gift. Same with the prophetic, same with the teacher, because all we're really doing is preaching Christ. Okay, The Word of God, our responsibility is to have a soft, fertile heart who's able to hear in the Spirit and receive so your hearts were burning when they were speaking. Don't yet know what they were talking about, but my spirit was burning. I then take that to the Holy Spirit, and Jesus comes along, and he opens up the mind to understand what you actually, your spirit received, and now you've just been built because you've received a spiritual substance of food that you now know what it is, so now you can repeat it. So really, that's how it happens. It happens through supernatural knowing, functioning, and flowing in the gift that's on your life. And so my challenge is to steward what I know. And that's really quite tricky. Steward, be a steward of the kingdom mysteries that you hold to release them at the appropriate time. And so we're believing for all those gifts to be in this family. But you can't just go out and... People do. How much do you want? 100 grand? Come this way. And we'll do it. So you can have a gift but not be able to know how to operate and walk in the Spirit within your gift. So then you build your own thing with your gift, which is his gift that he's given to you. So it's really quite involved, but it's still simple. And so as the gifts minister, if they're ministering in the Spirit through the power of the Spirit and the people are receiving, that's how the church is built. It's all built through the Word of God. The Word performs its work. It's nothing that we do physically. So these guys with music, they can't change you by playing nice songs. But what they do is with their gifting, as they minister in their gifting and their knowledge of God, they create an environment where the Holy Spirit is drawn to himself and then you're hungry and open and then he ministers to you as an individual. And he can build you from just purely building you because he that's what his role is, yeah? So the word doesn't need to be preached for you to be changed. It's an encounter with God. It's continuous eating and drinking of the living mama from above, which builds this Israelite church who know who they are, who live in the covenants, and their whole lines, lives are completely different and live a brand new life. Like it's a completely different life to the life you were born with. It, the problem is it can look the same. You have two people married, but one is not living like the other couple, but they look like they are. But you'll know when the crunch time comes to make decisions. And so that's how it happens. It just happens. Like The apostolic grace gift has been ministering here for 11 years. The teaching and some of the other guys, no, it's been happening. It's been, it's been ministering. I don't think we have one of those. Um... No. 
you can have them in your house, but you can't have them all. You can't, you know. So an apostle, so not in one person. But you, you can have, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And my personal opinion, that's what you plant. So if you're going to plant, you plant a fivefold. And people say this, oh, we fly the prophet in. I'm sure God has given all the gifts he needs to build his houses. So what you have to figure out is, is this house of God or is it of man? And I've got personal opinions on that too. And that's the challenge, is that God supplies the gifts that he needs to see his church built. And I have a dream of what would it look like if we got all the fivefold giftings in this city and then actually worked out what it is to have fivefolds over houses. We might actually have five churches rather than 1,500. And they are truly having the gifts that God has given over the church to work together rather than fighting one another because of individual ministries that we think it's about my ministry. It's about his ministry. And when you read in Ephesians, you know, it talks about the, the five gifts being given for the building up of the body of Christ, right? Till we all come to this... this mature measure of stature, the fullness of Christ, eh, you know? And, and I think to me, from, from what you're saying, that it's not about the gifts. It's, they're, not, they're, not, they're, they're a means to an end, which is the maturity of the body, right? You know, that, that God gives these five gifts and that the primary function is not to go away and then discover what gifts you are, which is important, and it's important to know what role that you play. But it's the purpose of the gifts is for the body of Christ to become mature. And so just because I'm not an apostle doesn't mean I'm not to grow in an apostolic grace. Do you see what I'm saying? Like we, just because I'm not an evangelist doesn't mean I'm not supposed to grow and sit under the grace of evangelist and learn how to evangelize. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like it says that all of these gifts are given for the building up of the, of, of, of the body, and it says that they're actually for the equipping of the saints yeah. to do the works of service. Now, that, uh, to me, that's a, that's a radical rewiring of our mindsets to see that the gifts aren't actually primarily for the purpose of the gifts ministering. Yeah. They're for the purpose of the building up of the body so that the body yeah. would minister. Yeah. Do you see how different yeah. that is? You know, that it's, they're, actually they're about building and empowering people, not just promoting their own thing and showing off and showing how good they are. And their own, do you see what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's a completely different way of thinking, a different mentality. It's actually about the body of Christ becoming who she's supposed to be, becoming this mature man, you know? And so and It's a beautiful thing because the very name of it tells you what it is. It's a spiritual gift. So, well, two things. It's of the spirit and it's a gift given. So, you know, you can re we receive it and then we're to outwork out and outwalk that gift by the very nature. It just happens. So like you say with the evangelist, the evangelist truly can't help but start evangelizing. But as you said, you know, the, the main reason really is for us. But the default can be for us to sit back and go, great, we've got the evangelist. Mm. So go build the church. That's, that's us. Mm. So that we can be this. The very fact that they're an evangelist, they can't help but do it anyway. This is why it's not about bringing people to here. This is a place to be equipped, so we go there. <laughs> that was the, that's what Jesus' ministry was. He didn't bring people to temple. 
He went to the people. He trained people to go to the people. Now we come here because this is home. And so by the time people come here, they're family members because we're reaching them there. See, but what the church has done is flipped it. Yeah, yeah. You bring people here. I'm the one that's supposed to get them saved, not you. You step, you take, you step out of the process when you're supposed to be in the process and you become a spectator instead of a participant. Well done. You've just created the institutional model. And this is our challenge. So this pattern has been there forever, but I couldn't see it. And this is what God had to rebuke me on in love. And he showed me the Eiffel Tower. And he showed me falling out of it. And I said, what's that? He said, that's the institutional church model. And I said, was I in that? He said, it wasn't in you, but you were helping build it. We're here. And if you were here, I broke and cried and wept in a service here because of that reality. And I asked you all to forgive me for not having eyes to see because I was leading the wrong way. It's beautiful. And that's how much he loves us. Because you can go, oh my goodness, I'm going to give up. I was taking this the wrong way. No, he says, now get back up and let's, I've shown you what I've shown you. Now implement and live for it. The problem is you can't make other people implement and live for it because everyone has a free choice. And this is what makes it so tricky is that I can't make any of these guys want to live what I'm living but I hope all things and believe all things and endure all things and bear all things and don't hold it wrong. You're patient, you're kind, you're gentle. Mm. Love. Mm. In the hope that actually everyone gets on board to discover who they really are, a person of covenantal promises, and then as a body we move as one as a team. See, even within the fivefold, there are so many issues, man. You put a teacher and a prophet together in a room, they'll rip each other apart if they're not in the spirit. But in the spirit, they're a dynamic duo. You see? And you can do it like this. Apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. The apostle, one of the main roles, they can t- touch every finger. So they to help every finger. But you try and touch that one and that one. <laughs> Don't work. This person, this gifting helps bring them all together. Because they're first off the ranking. Jesus was the... Apostle. Paul was a apostle, an apostolos, a sent one who was sent to the church. Sent with a purpose to see the church become an apostolic, prophetic, teacher, evangelistical, Israelite people who are no longer living for earth, but are living for him. It is an incredible design that the flesh fights because it kills the flesh, but it births life in the spirit. And this is what makes it so tricky because if pride exists, no one's submitting to anybody. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And you go backwards and forwards and you headbutt each other and then you get offended and then you leave. That's the pattern of the church, isn't it? Division, hurt, heartache, people fighting over positions. That's not what I read about. I read about a people who are one, who are dead and alive, who move together as one body, the people of Israel, because they know who they are. They've left 
child's play, left kindy, entered into uni, and are starting living like grown-up adults because they know who they are. And this is the opportunity we have. But without revelation, it's just nice words. <laughs> Greggy, sure. <laughs> That's our thing, eh, Shirley? <laughs> And God actually means when you when you 
But it could have been, mm. because yeah. it says, well, what's the point of being Jewish? He said, well, you were given the oracles of yeah, God. Right. But you have to yeah. be of faith. Mm. See, before the Spirit was poured out, so they were faith, so people of faith. Mm. And this is the tension as well, you know. But it's ultimate. I just want to read this, because Ephesians 2 it explains what Shirley's explaining. This is in 2.11. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And this was us. But at the same time, we've been chosen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the act of opposition in us, okay, which is in the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that he, so that in in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. That's what they rejected, wasn't it? But not all of them did. By it having put to death the enmity, once again, the cross kills the spirit of pride that was in them and it's in us. That's why your cross has to kill your pride, otherwise you're still living. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. See, we're far off as the Gentiles, they were near, he's preaching the same message, he wants to bring the same thing. Everything was aligned to the Christ coming. They've rejected their Christ. And then he goes on, uh, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And then it goes into that other bit that I read before about being built on the apostles and prophets and being citizens of Christ. It's such an incredible design that was put in place before the foundations of the earth. It's just whether we know it. And the problem is, like I said, we teach on Israel and the church are completely separate. Or the church has done away with Israel and it's all about the church now. The Pentecost, I love that one. No, no, it's about the two becoming one. The entire thing is built on the two becoming one. Christ and his church becoming one. Because aren't our lives hidden in his? Then there's only one. And if he's in you and you're in him, do you think you know the promises? If the person's living in you and growing in you, do you think you know the promises? Yeah. Why? Because because you got him and you growing through revelation, you know who you're supposed to be. So you live in accordance to the design of God. Anything less than that, and you're outside of design. So like I said this morning, how can he reward you if you're not living a life in design? You can't. 
and this is why it's so essential, we actually get raised up in the spirit, not in our teaching of what we've taught in this thing called the church. And so you get this broken down, messed up body that's supposed to move as one vehicle. And I don't mean here, I mean in the world. Like 30,000 denominations, that's a real issue. It's supposed to be one, yeah? School of the prophets, that's an issue because all the prophets are hanging out together. School of the evangelists, that's an issue because all the evangelists are hanging out together. Do you know evangelists don't really like the church? Because they think you're not into what they're into. So they start up a school and hang out together. But they're supposed to be dead working with an apostolic, prophetic, teacher, pastor, evangelistic gifting to raise up disciples of Christ who know who they are, who know the covenant, who know the promises, and live in accordance, not being bound up on earth. We're so far off track, it's not funny. But God told me 10 years ago, I want to build this house this way with these giftings here. So start prophesying and speaking it into being because I want to build a five-fold house. It's truly eternal. But if you're still living, you need to die. You need to get on board with the will of God, not asking God to bless your life. It's let's bless his life. But there's massive freedom and love's covering. Sometimes I wish it wasn't. <laughs> we couldn't abuse it. It's um, as part of what Nathaniel was facing. Because I mean, I love the fact that Jesus said to him, "I saw you while you're sitting under the tree," and I'd hazard at a guess that he was on his own. So now it's just come this massive revelation to him, as it was for Jacob. Sees this vision and wakes up and goes. I see this ladder to heaven. Surely God is in this place. When he went to sleep, he didn't know that. So God actually has to intervene and and bring revelation to him because he didn't know. And it's the same for us. If we don't know, there needs to be this humility to actually receive what God is telling us is here all along. And that he's given us instruction, he's given us understanding, a pattern that we might know. He's laid out for us to read, even if we don't understand it, haven't received revelation of it, that there is this thing called the fivefold, which at the very least would then lead us to ask, what, what is this fivefold? How does this work? And not just brush past it. So that then when revelation comes to the importance of the, the order of why the apostle and the prophet and then the rest of the giftings come, come along, for the building and the equipping, so we didn't know. Nathaniel didn't know. Surely that's opened his eyes to go, man, you saw me under the tree, under the fig tree. I'd encourage you all, when you're under your fig tree, he's there watching that you would know. And having received perhaps an, an apostolic word or a prophetic word, or even a pastor who leads you into his pasture so you can be shepherded by the good shepherd, that when you're under your fig tree, you'll hear a word that's from him because you'll see and have revealed to you just what Nathaniel did. He says, that ladder that Jacob saw, he's standing right in front of you. On the bridge to earth and heaven, you'll see 
the angelic. You'll see the nature of heaven revealed to you before your eyes. You, you're believing because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. Stay. Walk, lean in. Walk with me and you'll see a revelation of what you think the king of Israel is going to be like. I'm going to show you something completely different. That's why you ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Trentham, for goodness sake? It says, yeah, because you're not thinking the way heaven thinks. And I'm going to reveal to you what good actually is. So when someone comes up and says, good teacher, you don't actually even know what you're saying when you say good teacher because there's only one who is good, it's God. So you're going to stick around and see this, this very ladder to heaven. I'm standing right in front of you, but you need your eyes open to see. And the true Israel reveal that is because it's of faith, and faith is having eyes to see. Because the, the like our challenge is, hey, we're blind, so we all start completely blind. And outside of revelation, you will always live blind. So even though they say we found the one, they didn't know who he was. They found the one, the scriptures. So the scriptures are talking, but Jesus spoke about himself from the scriptures. So you, you need, you, you, I want to encourage you to, to, to really go deep and, and look for things because there are patterns within the scriptures. So in Luke, it says Jesus explained about himself from the scriptures. So the spirit is revealing about the Christ. If that's not our issue, if that's not the way in which we live, you're going to get nothing. Because it's not you and the scriptures. It's the spirit. Jesus himself opened up the scriptures and their hearts burned. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So if we don't really know the Holy Spirit, you're stuffed. You are. You're stuffed. I don't mean to say, but we're stuffed. We're not going to be the people of Israel. Okay, We're not going to live. So we need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to probably need to get on our knees and really start crying out. To know him, this invisible God, okay? Because otherwise he wouldn't have asked them who he was. Why did he say, who do you say I am? If they knew who he was. See? So there's a knowing, there's an informational knowledge in your mind, he's the Messiah. But that's not going to enable you to live a Messiah-like life. You have to know him through revelation if we're ever going to be the church that I'm talking, we're talking about here. Mm. You know, so if I was to ask you a question about, okay, we did a whole series on the fivefold teaching for a year. You've had it. It's gone out. Okay? Do you know it? Are you going, what? There was a teaching on the fivefold. Yeah. Now, the thing is, this is why you've got to keep saying the same thing over because it's gone out. It's going out. It continues to go out so we can hear it because we are slow of hearing, but we're very quick to speak and give our opinion. And look, this is, I'm preaching to myself, okay? This is the challenge of what it is to be in Him and needing the Holy Spirit to circumcise and reveal not just human learning through reading about something. It's absolutely having the Spirit of God reveal on your heart and your mind. He's giving it to you, 
And all of a sudden, you're like the recipient of the revelation of what it was that empowers you to live. Okay? It's not the memorization of Scripture. It's the knowing of the person that can only happen through the person opening up your mind to understand what he's saying. If he doesn't do that, they've got no idea who he is. If he doesn't break the bread, those two guys to the road of Emmaus stay going, our hearts were burning, but now they're not burning because he hasn't spoken for a while. See, which is what? Kingdom teaching in Matthew 13, the four, the four um, environments. Okay? So it's about hearing and understanding. So it's not just about having your heart burning with the scriptures. You've got to understand what it was you received. Otherwise, when stuff comes because you try to live out what you received, persecution by the word, nothing, chokes. Or you go about your life and the riches and the focus of everything else in your life comes up and it grabs hold and it chokes the life of the seed. You know what I'm talking about? There's only one environment that produces any fruit, and it's the one that hears and understands. So the pursuit to hear and understand is massive. Like, it's got to be your focus for your life. If you want, if we want to be this church I'm talking about, it's got to become your focus of your life. Like, your job can't be it. Your children can't be it. Your husband or wife can't be it. Your other passions all have to die if they are number one. Because if you're living for those things, they are ultimately earthly, aren't they not? And you're not living for the Christ and the kingdom of God. Seek first me. Don't seek even money to buy the food you need. This is how raw he gets. Don't seek food, clothing, shelter. The core commodities to keep your body alive on this earth. Don't seek those. I'll give you those. Well, I don't know about that one. See the trust, eh? That's a big. Do you not believe what I say? Can you hear it? He's he's saying. Do you not believe what I'm saying? Ah, uh, yeah, nah. <laughs> and that confrontation—that's called an apostolic confrontation. When the apostle gets up, stands right in front, and up, and I'm Jesus. Liz is the woman at the well. So you want living water? Go get me a husband. Go get me the thing that's in your heart that you're trying to find life in. Go get it now so we can deal with it today. Oh, uh, yeah, what is that? I don't know, what is that? So what he's going for is the heart. He looks into the heart and he sees what's in the heart of man. And he comes to circumcise your heart to release you from you. Because that woman, thanks, that woman is looking for an earthly fix to an eternal problem. And he sees it, so he comes. The rich young ruler bolted. And he has been coming, and he will come, and he will come, and he will come, and he will come, and he will knock on the door of your heart. And won't you, are you going to open and let me in? Yeah, but I'll add you on. No, it ain't an add-on. This is not an add-on deal. It's not a steak set of knives. It's all or nothing. Tell me what you want. Because I'll hang it out on the outside of the door and I'll knock. But if you want to be this church, you've got to let me in and you've got to let me have all. But it's the most beautiful exchange. So I'm going to take the thing that you think is bringing you life, which has absolutely got you in bondage called an idol, and I'm going to replace it with me. 
And then you find yourself being able to live out and be part of the commonwealth of Israel and be an active member of the commonwealth of Israel called the church. Up until that point, we're really not doing anything. Now we are doing things, but we're not really doing it in alignment to his purpose and plan. And all that I've said is in the spirit. You cannot understand anything I said in your mind, so don't even try. Because I'll offend you, or it will offend you. You have to see this in the unseen realm. Because everything I've said has just come from an unseen realm. It's not earth. It's from behind the wall. And this is the challenge. Because as you start to see the weight of responsibility, and what you're stewarding is massive. And he wants us all to know, because he says, you've all been called to be stewards of the kingdom of God. So seek first, otherwise you're going to have no idea who you really are, which means you won't live out who I've called you to be. And the evidence, if truth is self-evident, it's quite evident that most Christians don't know who they really are in Christ. But it doesn't need to be like that at all. It's not his purpose and his plan. What does it look like, guys, to have one mind? Like Paul said, make my joy, boy, make my joy complete. He says, I want to make you complete in Christ. What would it look like if every single one of us knew what I was talking about right now? And could say yes and amen because you've gone there in the spirit. Like that's a unity that can't be broken, eh? What would it look like to all have experienced the love of God in you and growing in you and being perfected in love? What would it look like for us to be of the same purpose, not leaving here going on individual purposes called our own lives? You see what it starts to do? It starts to build a people of spirit who manifest life in the spirit into this earth because it is to be tangible. It's not something that stays in Nanu Nanu land. It's tangible. People can touch it. They can see it. They can hear it because it's Christ-like people. So if he's the head, don't you think his body better look like the head? Like it'd be weird if the head and the body's going that way and the head's going that way. But that's what's happening a lot of the time. And so the body has to die before it can live. And that's huge. Because just like I read out, that means we all have to receive the same cross. Which isn't, I believe what he did. It's, I know what he did. Because I've got crucified with the Christ through power. I'm not saying the message is wrong, but it's a means to the messenger. And unfortunately, too many sit with just the message. And so you're powerless. And so we're still living, so we do our own thing in his name. But it doesn't reflect him. And so when he says, deny self, pick up your cross and follow me, I'm taking you to your death. But I'm really taking you to your life. And Peter is, uh, he is they all are, but Peter is an example of the church who still hasn't died but thinks it has. 
and thinks it can live something it can't live. But see, it can walk on water. It can do signs and wonders. It can preach. It can cast out demons. But what it can't do is deny itself. He said, I will not deny you. And he did. Why? Because he hadn't yet been killed. And Jesus was leading him to his crucifixion. But he said, you know what? It's coming. You're going to come and you will get resurrected. I've seen it. I've called it. So I'm leading you to your death because it's really your life. But the problem is we reject that message because we don't want to die because we maybe not even know we need to die because we still think ultimately we're all okay. Yeah, I know I'm not that good, but or as far as but I'm not that bad. And compared to Chris Logan, <laughs> you know, you know, so I'm all right. It's not what it says, does it? All have fallen short. You are all evil, poisoned with this thing called self. So on the other side of this cross is this people called Israel of covenant. Don't be a Jacob. Be Israel. But the verse goes on to say, but to us, he revealed them by the Holy Spirit, you know, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that's within him, you know, and who, you know, and and he goes on to say that essentially that, yeah, no no mind has, no, no eye has seen, no mind has conceived, but he says, but to you, I have revealed these kingdom mysteries through the spirit, you know. And so that is, that, that's for us, eh? you know. So. Yeah. He says he speaks of them freely. So Paul knows them, and I speak of them freely so you can know them. Mm. So I wrote them down. Mm. But they're concealed. So they're right in front of you. Fivefold was right in front of me, but it was concealed. Mm. Who revealed it? Mm. What was I doing, though? wasn't living for me. I was intentionally seeking him with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. I want you to become who I've called you to be. I've given you my best so you can. So then it's just about whether you want to be. But you have a free choice. And I think it's interesting, just coming back to what you were saying before, Greg, you know, about the absolute necessity of you know, having the Holy Spirit bring revelation, you know, and that, you know, without the Holy Spirit, we're, we're stuffed, right? I think those are your words, yeah. you know? And yet they were totally not stuffed when Jesus left them. You know, here's the one who is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher right in their midst, and he says, guys, don't worry about it. It's totally all good that I go, and it's actually for your benefit because I've got something so much greater for you, that the Holy Spirit would come and he would be the one who would lead you into all truth, hey, you know? And so to me, it just shows that even the dynamic tension between what we've been talking about tonight in terms of the fivefold and the five different gifts that minister, and yet the vital importance of having the Holy Spirit being the only one that can bring revelation, because, you know, you could sit 
and, and, and be under the fivefold day in, day out, and actually not receive. Yep. You know? And, and that's, the, that's the tension. It gives you the best possible opportunity to receive, but you still need to go somewhere yourself and receive yep. revelation yep. by the Holy Spirit, actually enter into what it is that's right in front of you. Eh? you know? And so it's, it's this dual tension between what's available, but everyone needing to participate, you know? I was going to speak on that. It's, it's more than dual, it's multifaceted because, you know, if I don't receive the word coming from the person because of something I have on the, per- oh, I don't like kiwi fruit shirts, whatever, you know. Um, I'll wear my banana one. You know, there, there's a humility that has to be there to receive. And I was challenged about that today. I was talking to someone today and, and I believe they have a gift on their life, but because they're not walking in a way, you know, they're not walking in a Christ-like manner, I can reject the gift. Or do I choose to listen to that person anyway and what they have to say and discern by the Spirit if there's something, some gold there? Or do I just reject it because of the vessel that it's come through? And I think the division in the church is a lot to do with humility. Well, it's a lot to do with the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we need to have the nature of Christ, be transformed in the likeness of Christ, because then we can suffer and bear with one another as we are walking these things out and as people begin to walk in their giftings in a a mature way. But are you willing to suffer with me as I learn? And my brothers and sisters who are all learning, are we willing to suffer with one another in humility and receive from one another so that we can come into this? Because if we're not willing to receive from one another in that humility... And he's given us the vehicle, which is the body of Christ, the church, to demonstrate some stuff that he's only going to demonstrate through the church. We're going to miss some things if we're trying to do it alone, if we're just a group of individuals all doing our own thing, but gathered together on a Sunday. You know, he, he makes a way, and this is this Jacob deception, that we think, oh yeah, I can just go and tick a box on a Sunday, and yeah, I'm part of a church, but you're not really going there and positioning yourself in such a way to receive. You know, and that, that involves your own work with God, um, walk with God in the closet, you know, in your daily life and what we do collectively here. Can I ask us one more question? I'm really going to shut up, but something that you said. Um, do you understand what covenant is? So you need to, yeah? Okay, so, so because, because we're all in covenant with one another. Covenant has Jesus broken his covenant with you? If it was based on your behavior, should he? But he doesn't, right? Because he's in covenant. So Jesus knows what covenant is. And because Jesus knows what covenant is, he says, I'm not breaking it with my people. Okay? So I, as a follower, am in covenant with Christ. And he's not breaking it with me, so I shouldn't break it with him. But then I'm in covenant with Nick. Right? So I don't break covenant with Nick. Because it's not about being an institution, it's about being the commonwealth of Israel. So if I understand I'm in a covenant that's not to be broken, that means we have to work things out. Not walk away from one another when he says something I don't like. Oh, I'm tempted right now. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to know what that means because in covenant, what's in covenant? 
What are the two aspects that are in covenant? Love and submission. <laughs> so the pattern you can see, yeah? So this whole concept of leaving the church and I'm going to find another church and all is all flesh mm. because I don't understand I'm in covenant mm. with a body of Christ that I'm never to leave unless really the Father is leading me, not from hurt and offence, mm. but because he's spoken. But when I go to the other family, I'm in covenant and I'm really still in covenant with the family I've left because it's the body of Christ but if I have no concept of covenant then it's more like uh, it's not even a contract it's like it's like a gym membership oh yeah I don't like the gear here oh yeah the fees have gone up oh well okay join another one that's a mindset that's in a lot of Christians because we don't understand covenant and if we treated the covenant the way, you know, so if Jesus treated, what am I trying to say? We. So the, yeah, if Jesus treated the covenant the same way we do, we'd yeah. be in big trouble. We'd be in massive trouble. And so this is what it means to understand what it means to be an Israelite. Because we're in covenant, which means I've got to work things through. Now you put that into any relationship, what are we going to have the best of? a world would take notice of the church. Not because we're placarding, because we are the substance of life. And they would go, man, who are you guys? Like they would look and see our relationships. With him first, with one another second, with our families. And so this physical that creates a spiritual family rocks up, and it truly is family. Mm. But love and submission are the two key attributes yep. of the covenant. Now, if you haven't received love within you, I don't mean know he loves you. If you haven't received love in you to kill you, it's very hard to submit to God. Easy to say it, or oh, I submit to God. What does a surrendered life look like? A life on fire. So that's the evidence of a submitted life, is a full life. So we have to really go to the core and ask some massive questions that many people don't want to ask because we're still living. But I guarantee you, if you go there and allow him, you will find yourself being able to live as Christ lived and grow in that. Because it's not like overnight, it's a maturing and you find yourself not only be able to lay hands on the sick, pray for healing, but you can love the most unlovable. And you can love on behavior that's ugly, which is what you were to him, and he loved you. And you find yourself being able to keep the covenant, which is a marriage covenant between you and Christ, because you can love God with all and love people as you command. And you're really living. And all of a sudden, it's about you playing your role well. You know, as opposed to how you're being treated by the other person, right? You know, it's it, every environment, every situation, every relationship is always about how do I how do I fulfil my side of the covenant? How can I love you with the love that's from heaven? You know, as opposed to I'm looking for you to treat me a certain way, 
And if you don't, then that means that I'm going to treat you a certain way. Mm. You see what I'm saying? It's always about how you can actually fulfill your side and the outcome of how the other person behaves and that's up to it's up to him and you can help and guide and lead but at the end of the day being responsible for having him formed in you so that you can be to to others who you need to be eh? you know? I'm not talking anymore <laughs> He was my Aaron. <laughs> and it's good because that's what he calls us to, to submission one to another. And that, that it is very easy to say, Father, I submit to you. God, I submit to you. And remember the cross got two parts to it. So he says, right, then submit here. Show it. Let, let it actually live out. And, you know, this, this, I love it when he, he's calling Nathaniel. He says, I believe, you know, you are this and you're that. He says, oh, okay. How come it is that when we read through that it says, and now the disciples are arguing with each other? Well, that, that's not his nature. So that still had to actually be outworked within them. And then, as you were saying, Sam, there's something much greater. If you knew, you'd be pleased that I'm going. Because something much greater is going to come. It's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to come and indwell within you because there's something, a work that has to be actually done inside here that's actually going to allow me to submit this way and actually then to be able to play my part well because it's now the surrendered life and the, it's the power of, a, of the Holy Spirit that's going to do this work within us. And I think an important thing, you know, what Kirsten said before, we're in an eternal covenant. And we're eternal beings. So we're with each other for eternity. There's, there's no... With covenants, you used to be able to die and get out of a covenant. We, don't, we can't die. We've got eternal life. So we're with each other as family for eternity. So you have to put up with me, whether it's here or in the afterlife. I, I, I like there are many rooms in the Father's house. I'll be in the country room, the main room. I know you none of you are going to be there, so I'm going to be awesome. <laughs> We've got a room for you far, far away. <laughs> That's all right. We'll all be in the Kiwi fruit room, all right? <laughs> all right, Nick. Make us holy, mate. Finish, finish us up in prayer. Calm, calm, these, calm this lot down. Father, I love this family. I love that we get to do life together Lord with you and with one another Father I pray that all the gold that came out from you today Lord God would be implanted within us Lord I pray Father we would walk as a, as a heavenly people as an eternal people with an eternal mindset Lord there is one true mindset Lord there is one true vine. There is one true Lord. There is one true way. We want your way, Father. Collectively, we want your way, Lord. I speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters, Lord. You take us on this way together, Father, in you. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your patience, Lord. <laughs>
And I thank you that you've put me with all these amazing people, these amazing grace growers. (laughs) Yeah, such a diverse group of people, Lord, that I can learn to love and walk with and honour every single one of them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can I just say one thing, just because of what, you know, what I just, what I just heard from Nick, you know, said, um, you know, to me, the, the closing prayer of the outcome of all of this that we've just talked about came out of him, I love this family, you know, and to me, that, that is a sign of this covenant love, right? It's not, we're going to be together for eternity Oh, that sucks. We can't get away from each other. Do you see what I'm saying? Like that, that's a, that is the opposite response to, oh, you've put me in covenant. There's love in my heart for you and you for me. Do, do you know what I mean? It's like the idea of being together is actually, the, the, there's, because it is joyful. It is joyful because there's love that's formed in our hearts. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy because sometimes being together is downright hard, right? But there needs to be love in us that's bigger than that, that has that kind of response. So thanks.